0: Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design.
1: This is the Working Class Audio podcast, session 246.
0: Working Class Audio. Navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux.
1: Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 246 you're listening to. My guest today is Eric Fredericy. Eric is a broadcast engineer for FM radio, TV, and streaming media at KCSB FM 91.9 Community Radio. That's located in Santa Barbara, California. And Eric is gonna come on and talk to us all about the world of broadcast. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Eric and I met on LinkedIn. After our initial conversation, I thought, gotta have Eric on. So very much looking forward to it. Eric Fredericky here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. All right, grab your coffee cups. Let's talk about analyzing failure and success. Success and failures come in different uh, amounts in our careers how you judge success is up to you. Some of us judge it by awards, some of us judge it by repeat clients, some of us judge it by a full bank account, some of us judge it by uh, satisfaction in our work, uh, or combinations of all of those things. One thing I want to point out and I and I think all of you know my my older crowd out there, my age and up knows this. Here's something to think about. We all know that when you have a failure, it's good to take stock of why did a situation fail? Why did a mix fail to a client? Why did they not like the mix? Why did you get yelled at in a particular interaction on a film set, from the director? All of these different things from all the different audio disciplines have moments where we fail. and we need to stop and analyze those failures. What What in the interaction failed? Why did you get yelled at? Why did you not get paid? Why did, the client not like what you gave them, all of these things. But I'm also here to tell you that in equal measure, you have to analyze the successes too. Uh, When you have a success, that doesn't mean you can just stop all perseverance and and progress because you had a success. That doesn't mean you've arrived. It's a success, It's it's a temporary thing. And I think it deserves an equal amount of debriefing, so to speak, after the fact as a failure. You need to sit down with yourself and say, why did this work? What in this interaction worked? Why is this client happy? What did I do? What did they do? What are the key elements of that success that made it happen? I'm having a great week this past week. Uh, I had a, I have a client I've just wrapped some mixes up for. He is so happy. And in this case, this guy has been really thrilled with these mixes I've been giving him. It feels good, you know? I think you all know what that feels like when a client's happy. And I'm stepping back from the situation and I'm just, I'm looking at it. And I'm like, what what is it about this situation that worked? Why is he happy? What is it that I'm doing here that's making him happy? And just like failures, we have to analyze so we can understand and learn the lessons from that. I know that sometimes the work is coming so fast we don't have time to do that especially if we're not getting enough sleep or we're, we're drinking too much or we're, you know, we're doing something to compromise our ability to retain the information. And I would encourage you to give yourself, give your body time to rest, give your brain time to, to recuperate so you can sit down with yourself in peace and quiet and think about this. Why did I succeed? Why did I fail? What are the key elements in both of these things? So so that's that's basically it. Look at your successes, look at your failures, analyze why they are constructed in the way they are, and try to either avoid or repeat, depending on what you want more of. Successes is obviously what we want to repeat. Failures, we obviously want to avoid. Hey, and one other thing I want to uh, bring up is uh, the LinkedIn thing. Many of you responded, uh, many episodes ago, I asked a lot of you to reach out on LinkedIn, connect with me send me a message if you'd like. Uh, LinkedIn is definitely the place to get in touch with me at, if not, Matt at workingclassaudio.com, of course. But if you want, follow the uh, Working Class Audio LinkedIn page. I will put a link in the show notes. And from here on out, my contact information uh, for me personally is also gonna be in the show notes. So don't hesitate. I will accept your request to uh, connect. Feel free to message me if you got a question it's been great. I've really enjoyed connecting with a lot of you, a lot of you sending me uh, some great messages and I love having the exchange. Yeah, definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn, stay in touch with me on LinkedIn. I'm posting on LinkedIn all the time. And I think it's a great, great social media platform compared to all the others. We are still on Twitter. We are still on Instagram. And of course we are on Facebook just because, you know, it's Facebook, whatever. So uh, there it is. Stay in touch on LinkedIn. a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out, and if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality, If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating, so head on over to WorkingClassAudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me, and we can sit down and chat, coffee's in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get down to it. Eric Fredericki here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Hey, Eric, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with me today.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. I really appreciate this opportunity.
1: So you're coming to us actually from a radio station, 91.9 KCSB, is that correct?
0: Dash FM is the legal call letters. <laughs>
1: Dash FM, okay. Yeah, In located in Santa Barbara, California.
0: Correct, on the University of California, Santa Barbara campus. Mm. So... Big time or something.
1: Big time or something. <laughs> well, let's get started with where you're at now. So tell me about your current gig, what your title is there, and what are your responsibilities?
0: Yeah, so I am the chief engineer here at KCSB, which is more than just our FM broadcast. There's of course streaming like most modern radio stations have. We have two streaming servers, and then we have a third streaming setup that works for our training studio it's called k juice and they're unofficial call letters but it used to be on some carrier current back in the day and through the dorms and through decades of remodels that all changed and i don't know those wires are probably hanging in the closet over in the dorm buildings so we figured streaming was a good way to get with it so we have one terrestrial broadcast and three streams coming out of this uh, studio space so that's the operation and my day-to-day is you know i come in Make sure nothing caught on fire, (laughs) metaphorically speaking, and just make sure all the levels are good. RF level, that's always important. We have these feds looking down at us and so have to stay compliant there and then just make sure everything's good. Make sure we didn't have any major silence alarms over the night. It's not really my department, but I just check in on that kind of stuff. And then I kind of typically work on fixing cables, doing proposals, training my assistant, training others, helping them with production, website planning, and a lot of different stuff is what my day-to-day is. So I appreciate that every day is different. Mm.
1: And you've been there for... Six years. That's correct. Just this month, actually. How did you get that job and what led you to that job?
0: Well, at the time, I back in early 2013, I was working at a facility, building out a facility in Woodland Hills, California. And that was about a five-month gig. And it's interesting because they never really wanted to sign a contract. And I was kind of like, yeah, let's make this official. And they were like, nah, 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 nah. And essentially, it ended saw it coming, so I was like, well, I'm not sure I could go back into the biz, which is my degree of cinematography, or I could just take a break and reframe and figure out what I'm going to do. So I came back home to Santa Barbara just for a few days, and either the first or second night I was back, my aunt, who works in a completely different department here on campus, said, oh, hey, I'm sorry to hear that your gig didn't work out for the long term. I got this email saying, the station on campus is looking for an engineer? Is that something you would do? And I was like, send it to me. And (laughs) so I took a look at it. Actually, I didn't even get her email. I just went home and looked on the HR site, saw the description. And I go, wow, that's pretty much like right in there. And so I just kind of went for it. Of course, when you go for stuff, you never know what you're going to get into. And it was a long hiring process, as one might imagine, in an environment such as this. So that's how I got to where I got, thanks to my aunt, which is really appreciated. Big hugs. Thank you so much. (laughs) Never underestimate the
1: power of family looking out for you for jobs.
0: I could not agree with that anymore. It's such a great resource.
1: Background-wise, I'm a little confused because if you looked at your LinkedIn page, I'm not seeing a clear thing here where it says you have, now it sounds like I'm interviewing you, doesn't like, like a job interview. I'm not seeing here on your resume where you have audio experience.
0: It's formal, but it's not really formal. I had an internship in junior high that was at a radio station across town. I was the first intern ever at that station. So that was kind of like my unofficial official start in broadcasting Mm -hmm. before I even went to high school. And I did that for, I would say, two and a half summers. And it was interesting, you know, getting up at like 6, 6.30 in the morning, bike riding across town to that radio station. So I would get there super early and just run myself through the gamut of whatever they wanted. That was a really good experience, paid or not, just of being in a real environment. And so I guess that's kind of where it started. And then it kind of got formal when I worked at the Univision affiliate here in town that is now no longer in town, I kind of had two positions there. I started a master control, Mm -hmm. became the master control supervisor. They opened a news operation and I said, ooh, me, me, me. And they said, here's a camera. I also ended up doing the audio mixing for the live nightly newscast. So I would go out and shoot during the day and edit Mm -hmm. and come back late afternoon. Then at five, well, 4.40 or whatever, I'd get My rundowns ready and get all the tracks and everything ready and do a live newscast mix when it was done manually back in the days. So that was very formal. Just was like, here you go. Figure it out in Spanish. Yeah. And I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker. (laughs) So did that present some challenges? You know, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I grew up in a Spanish kind of half Spanish family. Mm -hmm. I was around it enough to be able to take the cues and the rundown was like my golden ticket for sure i mean you just go by the timing if anything and you look through your window in front of your console and you just look at the clock just like everyone else is and so i'm like all right three two cue that play it boom simple as that
1: so the world of broadcast that's a whole different animal from other audio disciplines because it's encompassing not just the audio portion there's so many other moving parts involved and in, in a lot of different a lot of different kinds of people involved. Can you talk a little bit about that? About the variety that there is to a broadcast gig?
0: You've got anything from people that are gonna want to jump in and do anything and everything, then people that are like, I'm only the TD and I only push the buttons mm-hmm. and call the shots. And that's totally fine. And it's I appreciate that diversity because and I actually like. Kind of the delegated tasks because I'm the kind of person that would be able to jump in and do whatever if needed. Camera op didn't show up, but somebody else knew how to mix audio, but they didn't know how to do camera op, so I would jump over there. So there's that aspect of just kind of like either knowing your place or just being in your place or working in a different environment where everyone just has to do everything. Quick, super funny short story. I was doing a satellite uplink gig in Phoenix one time. And I show up, had done that with that same crew multiple times before, start plugging in my cables to the sat truck that's upstairs outside in the sun, of course, and plug in my stuff, go back to the truck, verify signals. Great. We're good to go. Pound on my door to the truck bang, bang, bang. I'm like, uh oh, somebody's mad. And this guy's like, are you the one that plugged in those cables? How can you arbitrarily plug things in? And I didn't know who he was. And so the operations producer came up as well and said, hey, guys, I need to introduce the two of you together. And it was a really interesting perspective because this guy thought I was just some young hack guy that was just coming out, just doing whatever arbitrarily. And I hadn't worked with him in a while. He just forgot. And it was one of those things where, okay, I guess technically I was not in my place to do that without talking to them because they had some stuff ready for me to connect that I just didn't know about. But it got really heated and it was like, wow, okay, this is the big leagues. People know their place. They know that you're supposed to know their place and they get upset if you go outside of those boundaries. And so, I mean, that was literally heated people yelling at each other. Not me, but the other guys. And, you know, it's like, whoa. So that happens often. And sometimes with these live deadlines, you got to just cram and jam, as I say. So that really causes tension. But at the end of the day, you realize it's live, it's over. Everyone take a breath, shake each other's hands, and go home, (laughs) you know, because you got to do it again tomorrow. Same team. And if somebody gets fired, well, it's even more hectic. It's all about the clock running with the clock or trying to beat the clock kind of like live sound. You're just trying to manage everything so much more than just make it sound good. Well, back in the day with analog, I guess nowadays you have presets, but that's how broadcasting is. It's chill, 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 chill. Or I need to get 10 files in to play at five. I'm like dudes (laughs) now. Yeah. Now. And I'm like, Oh man, it's everything is now in broadcasting. So when I can have these opportunities to sit back and chat with people, such as we're doing here, it's really nice because later today, I've got to go to the transmitter site. So I won't be around. So who knows what's going to (laughs) happen? Pretty varied.
1: You got to have the right personality for that kind of a gig. And you got to be willing to take some heat, obviously, because people are going to yell.
0: Yes, people are going to and do yell. And it's really a matter of just... (sighs) Taking a breath. Okay. I mean, you can stare them in the face or you can look away, stare out the window, look at the wall, whatever it takes, just close your eyes. They're going to be there when you open your eyes or look back, anyways. You know, you just got to deal with it. And that's just part of being a professional is honestly just accepting either your mistakes, somebody else's, but still having to deal with it as a team. And I mean, that's the worst thing is having to fix somebody else's mistakes when there's not time to fix any mistakes, let alone yours or or whatever. But it's all the team environment usually. There's not one person that does any single broadcast. It just doesn't happen that way.
1: When you are being yelled at, what do you think is the best solution to dealing with it, whether it's your fault or not that you're being yelled at over? What kind of demeanor do you carry? If I were to start yelling at you you know, in a broadcast situation, what do you do?
0: I try to understand what is wrong. Whether... like if I don't know it like if it's something I clearly effed up on I'm gonna know that and I go okay how do I apologize and how do I make it good but if I don't know that I'm going okay what are they because when people yell it's like doesn't all come out succinctly or illogically sometimes and so you're just kind of like okay and you know you can shut your eyes but still be getting yelled at and go okay this that whatever and okay Let's address this one thing at a time. You're upset because, and I mean, in a way, it's kind of like a psychology thing. You don't play counselor, but you're kind of in a session with this person in any position, whether it's a student or my supervisor or a volunteer. In this environment, you have to play your cool because of the type of environment. And so it's really just trying to break down what's going on and take it one item at a time and think literally about the action items and how you can address those. That's how I do it, at least.
1: Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things, such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com WCA30, you can follow the link get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. It is interesting how when people lose their shit and they just yell at you or get really kind of intense with you, how you deal with it, that's one issue. And then just like, to me, people yelling at people I find that very unprofessional and I hate it. And And it's difficult for me to separate myself emotionally from that, because when I see somebody do that, I'm like, I'm gonna remember that. I'm gonna remember that yeah. this person behaves that way. But I guess if you know you wanna keep the gig, you cannot let emotions get in the way. You have to just kinda stay on the
0: path. I couldn't agree more with that, honestly. Whether it's somebody you've worked with before or never, if they're yelling at you, there's a reason they're upset, but you know it's not your reason. And it's like the high road versus the low road kind of concept. If you're going to be that professional that you strive to be, I mean, you got to that point with that person for some reason. You got to maintain that. And you might want to be so upset and yell back or walk off or whatever, but you can't because your career and your livelihood can depend on it. And it's more than just, well, I guess I won't get those hours or if it's a day rate, right, I won't get that day. No, it's way more than that. People yeah. know if you if you walked, oh, man, They're going to be more upset than if you yelled at someone because now they're down a man or a person, I should say. That's really something to keep in mind. I used to work for my dad for a little bit, and I did walk off the job, and I never worked for him again for various reasons, but working for family is hard. But everyone else, all these different subcontractors knew, and they were like, that crew's got a problem. And, you know... That, that's a k- big career thing for everybody involved with those with that crew, you know? So it's something worth being aware of in the long term.
1: I was in a situation where I was working at a jingle house. I was a paid intern a gazillion years ago, and there was a, in an effort to avoid names, I'll just say there was a legendary recording engineer who worked on the session, and there was one of the guys who was directing the session yelled at this engineer in front of everybody. And that engineer took one look at that guy who yelled at him and said, can I have a word with you outside? And all of us were like, oh, shit. Mm. (laughs) Like this guy, this guy screwed up yelling at this legendary dude. They came back. And they never had that kind of interaction again. It was fascinating to observe as a young man these two older gentlemen and the diplomacy or lack of diplomacy that that was happening. When we had a, a preliminary talk the other day, you brought up something I want to bring up now. You know, we were talking about LinkedIn and resumes and stuff. We were talking about how you present yourself, how you if you're going out there in the world. To get yourself a gig, especially in a technical field, audio, video, whatever, how you present yourself, how you present your resume, you brought that up as as a key point. So I wanted to talk to you a little more about that. You want to expand on, on that initial discussion we had?
0: Sure. I realized, man, I can wear all these different hats. Do I want to wear them at the same time? And what hat do I want to wear in front of certain people? And what hat do I want to wear at this time period? If you want to get out of construction, you don't put that on your resume or your profile. If you want to become, let's say, a cam op, you start putting that kind of stuff on there. And relative positions like first AC and second AC and whatever, that's the kind of stuff. You have to tailor it because, you know, in the biz, people know What kinds of positions and who does what? And if they see all these other random mishmash of things, they're going to go, what? This person is just all over the place. How do I know that they know what they're doing? Can they focus? And so that's kind of just it is focusing the presentation so that your readers or viewers or interviewers can understand this is who I want to hire potentially. So that's kind of where it comes from with me. Is presenting yourself in a hireable manner. You're, you you know, you're asking me like, well, you got a lot of different things, but to me, it all relates to broadcast in some way, right? So I'm a broadcast engineer, and that's why you'll see at the top of my profile says for radio, TV, and streaming media. So it's all a presentation. Now,
1: this is where the the lines of being an audio professional independently or freelance versus in your world where you've been hired in a proper job environment as a broadcast engineer. And some might say, well, I just run a recording studio, so I don't really need a resume. Do you have an argument against that idea?
0: Well, if you've gotten to a place where you're running a recording studio, you're probably doing pretty well. And maybe you don't need a resume at that moment. But what if you want to get out? Then you might have to create a resume, which you can put your studio on, owned and operated such and such studios. Mm -hmm. That's a huge thing. And you don't even have to go in detail. People are going to go, okay, this guy knows what he's doing, especially if you put the operated part on there. And how did you get there? Like if you're trying to do something different in your career after, say, a studio, you put the studio, but what's before it? If people go, well, how did he get into running his own studio? There's clearly going to be a story and a path and a career history there. They're going to want to know that. So it's not critical, but I mean, at least something to keep in mind going forward if you decide to change it up.
1: Yeah, I would, I would also say uh, or add to that that it's nice to keep track and create, as you say, a story so that maybe maybe you start out, maybe you are in a studio situation at one point in your life, but eventually maybe you have four kids and you've got a big house and your lifestyle has grown. So you've kind of moved more into a more stable financial environment, such as a job. And in some respects, I would say that having these different things that you've done on your resume shows that wherever you're at, whether you continue to be in audio or not, it shows the breadth of your experience. Oh, you did this. Oh, you're actually a business owner here. Oh, you did this. And I think that all these things tie together one way or the other. They may not ultimately be what your final gig is or whatever, whatever gig you're trying to get is. But anyways, just to put a cap on that, just to say, I agree. It's, you should fill out the resume to keep a timeline going of where you've been. It's, kind of fascinating just to look at from your own perspective.
0: Yeah, it's it's good just to jot it down somewhere.
1: So you grew up in Santa Barbara. You're back in Santa Barbara. Did you go to school in Santa Barbara?
0: I went to school in Ventura, which is 30 minutes south. That's where I went to Brooks Institute and I studied cinematography. Commercial cinematography was kind of the major, I guess. But I also kind of dabbled in other things, including, hey, there's that guy that knows how to mix audio, let's get him to do our student movie audio mixes. So I was doing a lot of that, quote unquote, on the side, but people took notice because you have the credits. And people, you know, were putting all their classmates on credits, and I was seeing certain people that kept showing up as first ACs, first AC, DP, 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 and I was apparently the guy that kept showing up as A1, 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 but not the onset so much as post A1, I guess. So that's kind of the schooling, and that was, wow, that was quite an experience. Not going to go into the financial part. (laughs) We're still dealing with that. (laughs) I said enough, (laughs) but you know, I mean, working with people that have been in the biz for decades and that literally I had one instructor after I graduated that was like, I wanna hire you to work for me and this company, which ironically is now LinkedIn. And it was lynda.com. I mean, it still is, but it's kind of LinkedIn learning. And he straight up said, it's between you and your colleague over there who's setting up the light, who told you to come talk to me. I'm like, well, what if I told him to come talk to you instead. He goes, uh, him and I have already had the conversation. Do you want this job? And I was like, oh man, yeah, I guess. I was like, is that a trick question? It's just such an interesting perspective. But you work with those kinds of people, they're cutthroat, they're real, they know what's what, and they can get you work if they like your chops. Hmm. So that was my formal schooling experience. And then other than that, I had a little bit of low voltage cabling class course kind of stuff that I did, but that just kind of helps in everyday life i guess
1: what are your aspirations working in broadcast i mean what do you aspire to do ultimately or is this kind of a get in and coast kind of a gig it's kind of
0: both i have aspirations for the station i work at and for my career but right now like i've got a two-year-old or about a two-year-old and i'm just kind of cruising so i'm happy where i'm at i mean this place is not cheap to live in so i'm fortunate enough Mm. to have received amount of raises i have in my time here so for now i'm coasting but i think eventually i have this kind of dream i guess of maybe running and operating my own production broadcast facility at some point in life but i mean everything's really changing day by day hour by hour so we'll just have to see what happens when i might be actually ready to do that Mm. if there's opportunities there
1: so is it's a college radio station or is Correct. it not? Okay. So your salary is paid by the college.
0: Right. Okay. It's, it's an interesting structure here. We're under the Associated Students, which many colleges have. And we are actually, I think, the only department or subdepartment on campus that actually has a lock-in for our wages. So every two years when that comes up to vote, we're biting our nails. But it's never not. And they would pull funds from the general fund if for some reason it didn't get voted. But yeah, that's an interesting thing. It's kind of like, oh, students vote on my wage. Huh. I better make friends. I mean, you've been there for six years. Do you see
1: just staying there until they kick you out? Or are you looking at other things? Do you diversify
0: at all? Do you do other gigs? I'm just coasting for the time being. But I don't really want to become a lifer. That's just not my style. This is the longest single gig I've had, which is only a little bit longer than some of the other gigs, so I'm kind of still right in the average there so far. But what I diversify in is basically I contract my broadcast engineering skills or knowledge out to another regional station that's based in a town about 90 minutes north. And they have a pretty good range that comes down here to Santa Barbara all the way up somewhere. I think it's San Ardo. And so they need a guy to manage their two sites here and make sure that things happen. And so like last week, I got a call from their engineer. Hey, our web stream went down. We're on the terrestrial feed to that station. Can you go up there and take a look? I do contract for broadcast engineering stuff. And that's just a little bit here and there. There's a retainer fee. And then there's some time Paid. You know, it's not much, but it's like, I guess, play slash lunch money. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's a higher rate than if you did all the math and what I'm making now at my day job, but there's zero benefits. And if it's over, what is it, 600 bucks, I have to claim it on taxes. So there's all that.
1: Right. When coming into a broadcast position, do you have any recommendations for negotiating salary?
0: it depends on the environment i would say if you're at an nce what does that stand for non-commercial educational so that's where i'm at the educational part usually means it's tied to university or community college etc and they're going to kind of have a range set usually they don't want to go outside of that Mm -hmm. or let you negotiate above their top range and i mean at the time i took this job i was like man that's low that's less than what i'm making now as a freelancer but like I mean way less but I was like there's benefits and it's a full-time gig if it was at like a regular old community station I could probably negotiate not knowing their budget just saying I feel I am worth X and they Mm go well we can only pay you X minus whatever and if it's within the range you've kind of set for yourself you can go yeah okay of course, depending on what other attributes there are to the job and their offerings. So it's really a contextual basis, but you have to know your skills. And basically, like we started talking, you have to know how you handle stress. Because if they're going to expect you to be on call, there all the time, away from your family, able to figure out anything and everything spur the moment in the middle of the night at three in the morning, mm. which is real, you have to know what you deserve for that and if they don't want to pay you maybe it's not right and if they're not aware of all that you say look you know how new is your equipment if it's old and falling apart you're going to have to pay me more to fix it and keep you guys on the air if it's brand new maybe that's great because you can pay me less because it's going to just kind of cruise for a little while
1: about a year and a half ago i signed up for sampling.app There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. Those who are listening to this, let's say they're an an audio person now, and they're familiar with signal flow and a lot of the technical things that a typical audio person would know. What are some of the extra things that they could do to prepare themselves to transition to a broadcast gig if that was something that they were entertaining? What, what would you tell them to educate themselves on?
0: Become very familiar with FCC regulations, step one, because that's what guides everything in a terrestrial broadcast. Now, if it's a streaming-only station, man, that's great because you have tons of liberty to do what you need to do, but you have to know DMCA regulations, and so here we have to deal with both.
1: What are DMCA regulations?
0: Digital Millennium Copyright Act, Okay, which is why DRM exists. <laughs> so. The, know your legal stuff first, because that can, if you know what you're doing coming in, great. Otherwise, you will learn and you will have to learn very quickly. And that can make or break you in certain situations. As far as the DMCA goes, you know, you have to know like how many of the same artists and how many of the same album you can play in a certain time period, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I'm not even in the programming department. But as the chief operator, which is also different from the chief engineer... You got to know that because you can get dinged for it. So there's those aspects, and then make sure you know how to read a block diagram that you've never seen before. I mean, there's supposed to be standards, and block diagrams are supposed to be straightforward enough, but you got to know what's what, and you got to understand how those lines of signals run, and if there's multiple wires, what is it? What's the type? What's the medium? And understand how the mediums interact, whether it's you know IP. AES-67, which is kind of an IP thing, or AES-3 versus 2, and are certain pieces of equipment backwards compatible, and et cetera, et cetera, because you're going to have oftentimes in broadcasting legacy gear that's going to have to interface with new fangled stuff, and it's got to work. You can always break it out to analog, but every time you do that, you've got latency. And that's another thing to keep in mind. How are you monitoring? And that's big, I think, in a lot of aspects. You know, we know... Now everyone's working with DAWs and some sort of interface that you have to monitor as low latency as possible. That, of course, exists in radio. And you have to understand how to mitigate that and how to train people on how to monitor so that they're not hearing themselves in a flanger. And also understand that when they run an EAS test, for example they have to hear it go off on the air versus running it twice because they think it didn't go.
1: I have to stop you. What's an EIS test?
0: EAS, Emergency Alert System. Ah. Yeah, so that's another thing for radio and TV that's mandatory, and for good reason. You know, there was all this talk last year and again this year about the big NPT, National Periodic Test, and last year's was coupled with the WIA, uh, Wireless Emergency Alerts, which everyone got on their phone. This is not the Hawaii missile thing. This is related, but you got to understand all of that. And usually in a higher position like mine, you have to be in charge of all that. So you have to know. And if you don't, you better learn. So there's also just having an open mind of programming. If you're going into broadcasting, whether it's TV or radio, and you're going into the engineering side, You're not supposed to have any control or say on the programming. You just make sure it all goes out on the air, looks good and sounds good. Say nothing, just deal with that part. That was a very long winded answer, but I think if, like you said, if you're getting people to look at that as a career, you have to be aware of those things and many more. And a lot of the training opportunities are out there. For example, SBE, Society of Broadcast Engineers, that's a great resource. So I would definitely encourage people to. Become a fellow member like myself and take the time to learn, study, and get certified, which can help you in your career.
1: I'll put a link in the show notes audience for the Society of Broadcast Engineers. Wow. A lot of acronyms.
0: It's very nuanced, <laughs> to say the least.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you're not only dealing with just technical signal flow aspects, you're dealing with a lot of other things of The FCC and, you know, emergency things going out and people yelling at you. And although I'm sure it's not as dramatic as as I'm making it sound.
0: So I've been yelled at in other places more than I've been yelled at here at this job in the last six years, which is great. (laughs) So (laughs) because I think you, you don't get to a university position by yelling at people. You might get to one by being yelled at. Because you're like, I'm tired of that. I'm going to go work somewhere where I'm not going to get yelled at. That had no play in my decision to work here. But I had been yelled at at the previous place. And I had been yelled at before. All with good intention. But still, in the, I guess, independent world, i.e. commercial, anything goes. If you don't like somebody, you can yell at them and fire them. And the employee's got to deal with that. In a university or educational setting... You yell at somebody, you're probably going to get fired and they're probably going to keep their job. Mm. So it's all perspective.
1: I always talk to our guests about survival. And usually I'm asking that of people who are generally freelancing and don't have a regular gig such as yourself. So in that aspect, do you find it difficult to survive on the salary you're on or do you just make it work?
0: Again, I'm very fortunate to be where I'm at now. But at first, I was like, oh, man, what did I get into? I was, without going into details, I was in the low $20 an hour when I started here. And I was Uh like hesitant to even take the job. And I talked to people that did work here through my transition in that were also going for the position. And they were like, I just couldn't do it. I have a family and there's no way I could do it. I just ran the numbers. And there's a Contract engineer, or a couple of contract engineers here in town that told me they went for it too. And they ran the numbers and just they said, never mind. So at the time, I was technically single and I actually met my now wife a few months after I started this position. And so in life's path, that all worked very serendipitously. Yeah. Hey, I got a full time job. Hey, I met somebody we're engaged. And hey, we're married. And hey, we got a kid. And I've been getting raises that whole time. Now in the past, so for example, my last gig before this one, doing the freelance work, I was in the mid 30 an hour range, at the minimum, but that was freelance, you know, and so that's just is what it is. And I was lucky enough to have a room for rent, some little old lady had a room for rent fully furnished in Los Angeles about two miles from where I work so I could bike ride, which was great. So the health and fitness was kind of ingrained in my daily routine there. That was cheap and I could do it. And I was pulling a lot of money in at the time, but I had to pay for it later in taxes. So um, (laughs) I'm doing okay now, but taxes, you got to be aware of that. You Don't just do, don't do what I did. Do as I say, not as I do and, and harbor some money off to the side. Be ready to pay it if you're a freelancer later because it's going to happen.
1: But you you have taxes taken out of your check, right?
0: No, yeah. Okay. Uh, but prior, even with the first year I started, you know, I technically had three gigs. I was doing that job in Woodland Hills. And then I did some freelance stuff. Well, actually four, if you count, working for my dad a little bit here and there construction. I did that. And then I also did um, some more uplink stuff. Mm -hmm. And then at the near the end of the year, I started this current gig. And so that was a wild ride for taxes that year. And I still had to pay because that's how it works when you're a freelancer. So quarterly payments, if you can do those quarterly estimated payments, boy, how do you do them? I never did, but I certainly wish I had. But, you know, again, at the time, survival was check to check for me. And at one point living in Ventura, I was making sometimes only 800 bucks a week. And my rent, thankfully, was only 400 bucks a month. And I was like, thanks to my homie who was letting me rent a room in his basically run down beach shack. But you you adapt. You have to make it work. You you eat that ramen. (laughs) You drink only water, bread, pizza, cheap stuff, whatever you got to (laughs) do.
1: So now where you're at, do you have a philosophy or a method of how you deal with money are you a saver are you saving for retirement do you have
0: a 401k what are you doing to be an adult i basically try to save as much as i can and essentially the money comes in i get paid monthly now which has never happened unless i was a freelancer invoicing which is different i'm like oh monthly that means i have to save my money okay there's not this every two week thing coming in i've just got to be aware of that split the payments just take care of that The big payments that you got to do every month. Thankfully, I own my car outright at this point. I mean, it's 11 years old, so hopefully it'll keep going, knock on wood. But that kind of stuff, just keep on the big payments first and buy your food for the week and make your sandwiches or whatever you're going to do, have for lunch. And keep it at work if you have a mini fridge. I mean, most places have a mini fridge you can stash stuff in. If not, make them get one for you because it's worth it. And there's collateral there if they don't. Well, you're going to pay me a lunch stipend, 15 bucks a day for lunch. You know, like I can't afford it. They might not care, but at least it's a negotiating point. So you just have to be mindful of where you're at and save either for things like, hey, we're looking at maybe buying a house, maybe crunching numbers, meeting with financial advisors, but just saving it until you really need it. I know you've asked some of your other people this, so I'm just going to pre-answer the question as far as gear. (laughs) Yeah. I don't really buy much gear. I don't really have a need to buy much gear. Now, I don't use the station's gear for personal purposes. And what I'm doing here at the station, I feel, is promo for the station. So, hey, why not? But I do a lot of stuff, as they say, in the box. Mm -hmm. And so I just have something that's going to record. It's going to be clean. It's going to be flexible enough for what I need. And that's about it. I mean, gear lust is a whole other story.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What we see and drool over is that's different, but it's good. It sounds like you've survived and you've gotten this far and you, you have a general plan of how to operate. We're all human. So it's always a work in progress. Is it not?
0: Always. Yeah.
1: Well, we're going to put a link in the show notes, if you don't mind, Eric, to your LinkedIn page so people can check you out there if that's okay with you.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's good to show the diversity.
1: Yeah, and I, I want to thank you for reaching out on LinkedIn. Once again, man, I'm not getting paid to do this, but LinkedIn has been fantastic since I've really gravitated towards it. I've had so many conversations, including our conversations, which led to this interview, and people keep reaching out. So my contact information, as per usual, will be in the show notes, as will Eric, so be sure and Reach out to either of us if you are interested in any kind of broadcast kind of concepts. I'm sure if you send a message Eric's way, he could probably make time to, to answer. I'm speaking for you, Eric.
0: Sorry. That's fine. I'll answer when I get back from the transmitter site this afternoon.
1: If you do have broadcast experience, that is something that can translate from town to town, state to state, country to country. Broadcast experience is broadcast experience, right?
0: Absolutely. It's no different than being a recordist for a studio. There's the need and it's all over. And because terrestrial radio is maybe phasing itself out or whatever you want to call it, doesn't mean there's not a need for broadcast engineers to maintain the studios. I mean, studios are more complex than ever these days. And if you don't know the signal flow in and out and backwards and forwards in all directions, then you better hire a broadcast engineer that does. So it's very translatable.
1: Yeah. It's like essentially being a a doctor. You could go to most places and probably find your spot to be a doctor or a veterinarian. Every town has a local newscast and radio stations and there are job possibilities.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, if you want to be in it, you just have to look for it.
1: That's fantastic. It's great to talk to you about it and know that these possibilities exist. So thanks again, Eric. Great to talk to you and you take
0: care. Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate it.
1: Okay, bye-bye. Eric Fredericki here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Our friends over at Kali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for Want to make sure and thank everybody that helped out with the show. That's Anne-Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdell on the Working Class Audio theme music, and the magic voice of Mr. Chuck Smith there at the beginning. We'll see you next week. Until then, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called com Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to Gearspace.com, check out Audio Life. Many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on Gearspace.com. So check that out.